This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. There are numerous stem cell clinics throughout the United States which advertise stem cell therapy for a variety of health conditions. Although they commonly promote treatment of osteoarthritis, some have offered treatment for such conditions as autism, macular degeneration, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, and now most recently COVID-19 infections. How can our patients be assured that they're receiving products for health conditions which are safe and the health conditions can be effectively treated with regenerative medicine therapy? We'll be discussing regulations regarding regenerative medicine with Drew Witter, a regulatory program manager in the Office of Research and Regulatory Support at the Mayo Clinic. Drew, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me here today to talk about regulatory affairs and regenerative medicine. Well, it's an interesting topic. Let's start by asking you to go over how you take regenerative medicine from the lab and research to the clinical practice. What happens there? Researchers and developers really need to look at the regulations to understand where in the regulatory pathway their product is going to take them. Oftentimes with these stem cell therapies, it involves going through the FDA and obtaining uh, regulatory approval to conduct clinical trials. So any researcher or developer starting with a proof of concept really needs to think about all of the various facets that they need to accomplish in order to get to that investigational new drug submission to FDA. With preclinical work in regenerative medicine, it's not quite as established as it was in drug development 20 years ago in, say, the pharmaceutical industry with active pharmaceutical ingredient traditional drug therapies where you knew exactly what sort of preclinical experiments you need to conduct, right? You'd have biomarker studies, pharmacokinetic studies, biotransformation studies, GLP tox. Certainly, FDA is going to want to see some of that in your preclinical work, but I don't think it's as cut and dry in regenerative medicine as we'd like it to be. And certainly, thinking about manufacturing aspects of regenerative therapies, right? Because a lot of these um, have manufacturing steps that need to take place in the clinic or the hospital. So you need to think about what space is that going to take place in? How am I going to make sure that we are compliant with regulatory manufacturing standards? And then finally, what is your phase one clinical trial going to look like? So I, I think when developing these regenerative therapies, it's important to look at what sort of institutional resources are available to you. Is there a regulatory manufacturing group? Is there a regulatory group that can assist you with, with IND submissions? And most importantly, it's to engage early with FDA. So there's various tools on the FDA.gov website that researchers and developers can use. One particular one that I always recommend is an FDA guidance called the Regulatory Considerations of Human Cells, Cellular, and Tissue-Based Products, HCTPs. That is really good at defining the terminology of HCTP, as well as the associated regulations that you're going to need to follow. So most of these regenerative therapies are under the umbrella of the Center of Biological Evaluation and Research at FDA, and they have interactive meetings that you can have with regulators to talk about your projects. The, the earliest one you can have is called an interact meeting. That is a rather informal meeting where you can talk about where your product currently is, 
how you see developing it and get their feedback on that development process, as well as they'll let you know what sort of information they're going to want in future regulatory submissions. And after that, after you've done some more development work, you go back to FDA and they have what's called a pre-IND meeting where you sit down with FDA, you show them the preclinical work that you've done so far, what your manufacturing steps are going to entail and what you believe your clinical trial protocol should be for a phase one. And they give you very binding responses back and you can ask them very pointed questions about what they're going to want to see in your IND submission. So I think the real takeaway is, is that in regenerative medicine, it's good to engage and collaborate with your institutional resources and regulators very early on so that you can quickly get to an IND approval and start validating your regenerative therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, we think of FDA as approving medications. Mm-hmm. Is regenerative medicine therapy kind of out of their comfort zone or is, is this something they're accustomed to doing? This is definitely outside of their zone, I would say. You can't follow the, the traditional drug development models that you know pharma kind of relies on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's being left up to, to academia and um, healthcare institutions to kind of take the lead with. So yeah, I, I think that it's a difficult uh, road to navigate currently, and it's still a maturing field in understanding those processes of bringing proof of concept to bedside lab to clinical trial, and then on to marketing approval. So th- there's mm-hmm. certainly room for growth and, and learning in this, in this field currently. Sure. So how does the FDA or other regulators ensure the safety and effectiveness of, our, of the products you're submitting? What do they do with the information you send them? Sure. So it, really, FDA wants to validate the evidence that you're putting forward. And, and through the clinical phase trials, you're validating your therapy. So in order to engage with FDA and start the clinical trial process, again, you submit an investigational new drug application. In there, you have all of your early preclinical work that shows your early safety, early efficacy data. And FDA works with you, as I mentioned, with those interactive meetings to start your phase one trials. Phase one is really looking at safety in a small group of patients. You're collecting data through blood work, various testing, monitoring, gathering of adverse events. Then you move on to your phase two, and that's really where you're looking to establish efficacy, find your optimal dose level, optimal cell count level for some of these regenerative therapies. Um, And you're doing that through placebo controls and, and blinding techniques. You know, you can do some of that in an early phase one, and FDA is open that to that, to moving some of these therapies through, but really that's more the paradigm of, of a phase two trial. And then finally, hopefully, if you show efficacy and safety, you move on to a phase three, which is your randomized controlled trials. Those are the gold standard trials that you hear about in the media often. And that there you're really looking to gather data on your efficacy to present to FDA, where FDA can say with confidence that, yes, this is a product that we are confident you know, in putting out into the market. Along with that, FDA has certain regulations in place to guarantee the safety and efficacy of the investigational products through the form of current good manufacturing practices known as CGMP. Uh, and I think that's important to talk about here. So CGMP are systems that are put into place to assure the proper design monitoring and control of the manufacturing process to really make sure that you know what your product's identity, strength, potency, quality are. And some examples of those systems are things like facility design, validation processes, environmental monitoring. You're going to want to leverage modern technology solutions when forming your CGMP. You need to implement a robust quality management system that effectively guides quality output throughout the manufacturing. 
And really all of that is done to make sure that you have a safe and effective reproducible investigational product to use in your trials. And cell therapies are complicated in this aspect, right? Because they're not your traditional API drugs where you know, you're taking a bunch of chemicals, putting them together, and then you can test purity and potency after the fact. Oftentimes you're dealing with living cells and tissues from donors. And you need to make sure that those are not contaminated to begin with. And if you're building a cell bank, you need to characterize all of those cells through things like um, testing for endotoxin, sterility, adventitious agents. You need to check purity, viability, stability. And then throughout that manufacturing process, you really need to document things and have procedures in place for things like cell collection, irradiation, storage if necessary. You need to use quality reagents, clinical grade whenever possible. And then once you get to your final cell product, again, you need to make sure that you are putting something out there that, that is pure and potent. So it is a quite intensive and cumbersome product, but it is all for to ensure the safety of the subjects in these trials. But again, FDA and institutional resources are often there too to help you through that. Is there a typical length of time it takes for when one comes up with an idea and then submits it to the FDA for approval? Is that, I imagine it must take years in some cases. Yeah, so the, the most recent numbers that I looked at showed it's about a 10-year period to get from early preclinical all the way to a marketing approval. And during that time period, you know, there's an 18-month window where you submit your, your marketing approval application, where FDA gets to review that information that's coming in. And they're going to inspect your manufacturing areas. They may audit your clinical sites to ensure that the information you provided in your marketing application matches with what was gathered at those clinical sites. And so then even after that 10-year period, there's a chance if they do approve your marketing approval, you may need to do additional studies in what are known as phase four trials, which may look at things like long-term safety or comparability to another product. But the good news is that there are mechanisms in place to shorten some of these you know, um, development timelines. So there's things that are called fast track designations, breakthrough designations. For the fast track designation, that's when you show that you have a preclinical or clinical data that shows efficacy to meet an unmet medical need. In breakthrough designations, you may have a therapy that is substantially better than what's currently out there. Um, so you'd be granted that designation. And then for regenerative medicine specifically, there is the RMAT designation, which is the Regenerative Medicine Advanced Therapy designation. And that is when you can show certain clinical benefits for an unmet medical need, either through the, the cure, modification, reversing of a condition. And that grants you certain benefits as a, a developer of a regenerative therapy, right? So it accelerates your approval timelines. You work with FDA and they work with you to develop an intermediate or what's known as a surrogate endpoint where you, it may speed up the timeline for you to be able to submit your marketing application. And then there's what's called priority review. So as I mentioned for the marketing approval review, that's 18 months. So with priority review, FDA goal is to get that lowered to a six month period. How much of what regenerative medicine does is FDA approved at this time? So there's not a lot. And there's reasons for that, right? Because it costs a lot of money to go through this entire process. Um, you know, industry numbers put them in the tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars to develop one treatment from preclinical to marketing approval. And again, a lot of them won't even make it through all phases of clinical trials. 
But yeah, there's not necessarily a lot of room for healthcare and academia to spend that kind of money to develop these. So there is an argument to be made that industry should really be driving these. And so how do we get industry to move forward? How can we direct them in that path? And I think you do that by trying to identify things like intellectual property within your regenerative therapy, if, if you're a healthcare academic developer. And you know, you can do some of these early phase trials yourself to explore things like safety and efficacy, see, see if it's there. And if it is, then I think you can make a case to try to find an industry partner to move these things forward. Mm-hmm. How about stem cell therapy? Is that FDA approved? So there are some stem cell based products that are FDA approved and they consist of blood forming stem cells derived of cord blood. I believe there's about 20 to 30 products already approved, but that's not that many. And it's for a very specific uh, type. If you look on the internet advertising by various little clinics, they're promoting uh, stem cell therapy for treatment of a variety of things. And I think between regenerative medicine and CBD oil, they, you got the ground covered. I mean, almost everything is treatable now. Mm-hmm. So how can the consumer be confident that what they're promoting is actually accurate? You really need to be your own advocate, right? And you need to ask lots of questions. My recommendation would be for a, a potential consumer to start with the FDA.gov website. FDA is aware of these clinics. They're aware of the false claims that are often made. So they have some education that they can provide you on questions you should be asking, what you should be looking for. At a high level, you should be asking, is the product FDA approved? If it's not, is it undergoing an investigation through a clinical trial with FDA oversight? You know, as I previously mentioned, FDA oversight provides certain assurances, right? So they make sure that the investigational product is safe and effective and meets potency and purity purity standards, and that through quality regulations, manufacturing regulations. And then FDA oversight is also associated with approving clinical trials that have been reviewed and approved and they meet minimum or reasonable safety standards for participating subjects. With things like these stem cell clinics, they tend to market using non-peer reviewed or articles that they claim are scientific to lend scientific credibility. They'll say things like that they don't need FDA approval or that they're already FDA approved. I would talk to your primary care physician about these treatments, and certainly you should be seeking out reputable institutions as well um, if these are therapies that you're considering. Have these little stem cell clinics harmed the reputation of uh, stem cell therapy done in reputable uh, clinics? We hope not, right? Without a doubt, the stem cells are not completely safe. There have been cases where um, you know certain treatments have caused harm which is why they all should go through the FDA process and have some sort of FDA oversight to, to make sure that, that subjects and potential patients are safe using these therapies. I don't know that we've necessarily seen a backlash from consumers, but it, it certainly is, is not good press. And they should be looking to educate themselves on um, you know, these therapies in conjunction with their doctor yeah. if they're interested in them. You, a little while ago, you mentioned clinical trials of regenerative medicine uh, therapy. How can patients and providers learn about the ongoing FDA-regulated regenerative medicine clinical trials? Sure. So here at Mayo Clinic on our external mayo.edu webpage for the Center of Regenerative Medicine, there is a patient care link there that will take you to all of the current regenerative medicine clinical trials here at Mayo Clinic. And there's also a link to just all of the the clinical trials that Mayo Clinic is is able to provide you. There's also a patient education link there. 
so that you can learn about the clinical trial process, what it's going to entail for you as the subject. It's going to tell you what your rights are during the process and what steps are taken to protect your safety. We also have a regenerative medicine consult service here at Mayo Clinic. There's a number that you can call on that regenerative medicine homepage. You can talk to a representative to see if these therapies are right for you and if you're eligible for any of our trials. Externally, as a patient or provider, clinicaltrials.gov is probably the biggest resource. It's um, run by the U.S. National Library of Medicine. There's something like over 350,000 registered trials in their database with contact information for all of the participating sites. Centerwatch.com is another good one. They have uh, over 60,000, I believe, active clinical trials that you can search their database for. They provide education to both patients and healthcare providers about the clinical trial process. And then there's various other government and, and third-party websites like uh, regmednet.com and nih.gov that tend to have somewhat more regenerative medicine-specific databases of clinical trials, but there, there's a whole lot of resources, good, um, reputable resources out there for consumers and physicians to go look. Okay, good. Well, let's conclude by maybe having you give two or three key or take-home points which summarize the current regulatory state of regenerative medicine? So regenerative medicine, as I mentioned before, it, it's maturing as far as its regulatory affairs. If you are a researcher or developer, engage early once you have your proof of concept with FDA and institutional resources to move those therapies forward. If you're a consumer interested in, in regenerative therapies, talk to your primary care physician, go look at those external websites, really educate yourself on these therapies. And overall, I think there is a lot of excitement, both within the medical community, research community, and the regulatory community to try to bring these therapies forward as, as quickly as possible, because there is a belief that there is promise in them. We just really need to investigate the safety and efficacy of them to bring them to market still. Well, patients are excited about these therapies, and uh, we want to make sure that they're getting safe products and what they think they're getting is going to be effective. So I appreciate what, you, uh, what you've told us. Well, we've been discussing the regulatory status of regenerative medicine with Drew Witter, a regulatory program manager from the Office of Research and Regulatory Support at the Mayo Clinic. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. Drew, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Next week.